Hello and welcome to Talk To Be Well. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson, Chief Executive Behavioral Health for Providence, Oregon, and Chief Clinical Officer for Work To Be Well. Here with me today to talk about protecting reproductive health are three students from our National Student Advisory Council. Now, as a reminder, the information provided during this event is for educational purposes only. It is not intended, nor is it implied, to be a substitute for professional medical advice. I want to get us started today by having everybody introduce themselves, where you're from, and why this topic is important to you. Who wants to kick us off? Hi, I'm Madeline. I'm from North Central Washington, um, and reproductive health is important to me because I've had a lot of my own run-ins with reproductive health, and I want to make sure that all of the rights are protected and that it's a well-informed topic. Um, I'll go next. So my name is Kiana Victor. I'm from Baltimore. And I think as what Madeline was saying, reproductive rights is very important to me because as someone who struggled with issues with reproductive health and went through issues in regards to reproductive rights, I feel like it's important that we talk about the the ideas of pro-choice and having that choice to protect our health and rights. And I feel like it's important that we establish this as we are one of the the one of the beginnings of a new generation and it's important that we talk about our the issue with reproductive health to protect our rights when we get older and even now and to protect people like us so all right hi i'm emily and i'm from oregon and this topic's important to me because i've always believed in the pro-choice movement and i've always been an advocate for activism well, I appreciate you all coming out to talk about something so very important. And let's level set with everybody so that we're all using, you know, we know what we're talking about when we're talking about reproductive health. What does reproductive health encompass? Reproductive health encompasses a lot of things. I think a lot of people only associate reproductive health with abortion at this point in time, but birth control, pregnancy, fertility, all fall under um, reproductive health. Right, just, I feel like a good way to understand what reproductive health is, is just to think about the reproductive system. It has anything to do with fertility and um, um, reproduction. So that includes birth control, um, condoms, anything from abortion to even just basic healthcare rights to reproduct, um, to OBGYNs. Um, I feel like a misconception is that it includes care, and that's not true. It, it when people think about reproductive rights and they think about Planned Parenthood and they think about it as a negative concept, which is not true. It's just, um, it can be anything from the practice of safe sex to just encouraging um, healthcare access. So that's what it encompasses, and it's important that we talk about it. You know, that brings to mind a question of is reproductive health just about women or does reproductive health impact men too? I don't think that reproductive health is just about women. It's also about trans men too and men in general can also have to deal with reproductive health. So I think it's important that we include everybody in the discussion. Yeah, reproductive health doesn't just include women. It encompasses all genders, whether that's trans men or non-binary people or cis men, reproductive health is 
something that needs to be protected for everybody, not just women. So why do we have to talk? I mean, why are we talking about this? I know I've seen the news and things like that, but why is it important to bring this up and talk about it, especially when we're talking about mental health? You know, the news definitely um, right now is a pretty bleak for reproductive health, um, which means that now more than ever, it's important to talk about it. But in regards to mental health, our bodies and our mind are so interlinked. Um, and as we've talked about before, it's not just about fertility. Um, there's a bunch of different issues that anyone can have that impact health, like the issues that I've had with my body have greatly impacted like view the world around me and it's definitely impacted my mental health but I wouldn't necessarily say for the negative right just adding on to what Madeline has said I feel like an, a way to look at it um, with the intersection between mental health and reproductive rights is to, to see how much it has been isolated from the world um, and has been judged and looked with a negative concept for so long. And while mental health has been something that has been opening um, more and more over the generations, I feel like reproductive rights is something that has been attacked for years. And as health has this boundary of and part of health has been overlooked and judged and politicized for years, we have this negative emotions that impact our mental health because we now have to be worried about these things because something such as abortion who which has been an option for years is now being under is threatened today and it's kind of creating this parallel of anxiety i should say because you have this worry of especially with people who are in the states that abortion is potentially going to be legalized from it's that idea of well since this is not an option, what is next? It's the issue of the foster care systems, um, social services. You have so many social workers who have faced the issue of so many kids and the overload of kids now who has to be prepared for even more because of abortion being under attack. So I feel like it just, it's crazy to see how the world can go because of, well, America, how America can be change in such a short period of time because of reproductive attack and i feel like it just gives the sense of anxiety on to all of us now you know it, it's so interesting because there's there's a variety of different laws in a variety of different states i know uh, emily and i are both in oregon and oregon has a lot of protections around reproductive rights that many other states don't have. Um, what are some of the barriers that we see across the country that make it difficult for people to, to access reproductive health care? Like I mentioned in my introduction, I live in North Central Washington, and I live in an area where there's no Planned Parenthoods within like four hours around us. So um, definitely where you live, regardless of laws, impacts access to reproductive health care um, and also financial situation greatly like um, whether you have health insurance or whether you can pay out of pocket greatly impacts what you're able to do for your body. 
Right, and just touching back on to what Madeline says, I know that um, Oklahoma is in Oklahoma, but there has been a new bill that it has prohibited abortion after fertilization, which is crazy because recently the you see that laws around the country has gotten shorter and shorter. It went from 16 weeks to 12 weeks to eight weeks. And then now it's after fertilization, which may sound dumb, but it just really means that a person cannot get abortion. It's the first, I feel like it's the first state I believe legalized abortion to the terms like realistically after Roe versus Wade has, the draft of Roe versus Wade has been um, over. So, it depends on where you are. There's legal barriers. Um, I know in rural areas in Maryland is kind of the opposite from what Madeline was saying. In urban areas such as Baltimore City, there's a Planned Parenthood at every block because of the because of low income communities needing abortion care more than ever. I feel like it just depends on where you are that determines whether you have barriers to abortion rights. Um, like. I know in Oregon and Maryland and New York and New Jersey, those are all states that um, has protected abortion rights despite what the national and um, judistic um, opinion has been on, on abortion. But there are states such as Montana, Texas, Florida, where it's currently under attack, even though most of us and most Americans believe that abortion is something that should not be elite, um, should not be legalized I should say or should not be should be something that is, should be illegal and and it's interesting because I know with Planned Parenthood especially they get tagged as being that's what they're there for but the reality is for a lot of young people that's where you can go and get checked for sexually transmitted diseases you can get checked for your own reproductive health you can get access to free or low-cost contraception and especially for kids who are in families where that's not a safe topic to discuss, Planned Parenthood has been the only option for them. So I think it's really important that I, I'm glad that you brought up the issue of, of how things are paid for, uh, because that really, really matters, um, especially when you're under the age of 18 and, and how difficult it can be to access health care. So the legal precedent that was established by Roe v. Wade, we all know, it's going to likely be overturned here in the coming weeks. And what do you think the consequences of that's going to be? What are we going to see? Are we going to see more of these laws? What do you guys think? Yeah, I think that oh, there's a lot of states that um, not only will there be laws where abortion is banned, but there's like, it's already set in place that should Roe v. Wade be overturned, that these laws will be set in motion. It's not something that is going to have to start because Roe v. Wade is being overturned. It's something that's already here. And um, I think that because Roe v. Wade is something that has been so politicized and reproductive rights have been, rights have been so politicized over the past decades, um, that a lot of the other issues that have been politicized are also going to start coming under fire um, in our legislation. We already see um, transgender rights being attacked in states all over the US. And the fact that it's happening at the same time as reproductive rights is not at all surprising to me. Um, I know that a lot of people are concerned about um, queer marriage being attacked on a federal level after Roe v. Wade, um, because that's something that the political group that tends to 
disagree with reproductive rights also disagrees with queer marriage. And I think that a lot of people are anxious and afraid and worried for the future of not just themselves, but our country as a whole. Right, and just adding on to what Madeline said, I feel like one of the things you have to look at, the fact that not only reproductive rights being attacked, it's also the fact that the Supreme Court established a separate precedent that you can go back to previous rulings and make other decisions based on that. And when you actually look at the statements that the Supreme Court said, it's basically establishing the fact that if it's not in the Constitution, it's something that they don't have to make rulings about or make judgments about or something that um, they don't have to protect, such as health care, um, basic access to health care. You have transgender rights being now in possibly being attacked because it's just setting the nature that if it's not in the Constitution, they don't really need to make ideal or even attempt to kind of go based on go around the words, I should say. And you're going to start seeing a bunch of states making decisions, making laws that is not, I should say, what should I say, ethical? I mean, I'm sure the Supreme Court will say that it's not constitutional, but it, they will say that it's definitely not. I feel like it's not ethical because it's an under attack on our basic freedoms, I feel like. And we're going to start seeing that very in the upcoming generations or the upcoming years now. And I know that a lot of states are beginning to, like what Madeline already said, they were already beginning to establish these laws. It's just crazy to think that, like, depending on the state you live in, it can drastically change your access to something like abortion. Like, I live in Oregon, but if I were to go to college in Texas, like, suddenly, like, all those rights would be taken away from me. And so it's, like, almost, like, limiting people from where they can live or, like, what they can do, too, just because of Roe v. Wade being overturned or going to be overturned. No, those are all really, really good points, and especially when you're thinking about where you might go to college and what other laws could be impacted and all of the different rights that, that we've been able to bring forward. I mean, the equality of being able to live and be who you are and love who you want to love and be in relationship and marry who you want to marry that could all be impacted by this. And, and I think that really is, is one of the key points that, you know, when we think about why is it that we're talking about this, um, raising up all these consequences might touch somebody who's thinking, maybe this doesn't really affect me. Maybe this doesn't really matter to me. Maybe I don't really need to care. And I think you're all making the point that actually everybody needs to care and everybody should care, especially uh, folks who are your age, who are just on the cusp of coming in to vote. Do you think this is gonna, gonna make you think more about, you know, when you do turn 18, and some of you may already be 18, but what that means at the ballot box and, and how you look at candidates in an election? I think that I've always been somewhat politically inclined, um, but I know that because so many things that I hold as core values are being, um, I, I, we keep saying attacked, but I, I think that's honestly the best word to use is that a lot of the things that I hold near and dear to my heart are being attacked in our government. Um, and I want to be a legislator. That's like where my career is headed, um, if all goes well. 
Um, and being a part of a system that so fundamentally doesn't agree with human rights is really disheartening. Um, and I know that a lot of people try to get people here like, oh, it's it could be your mother or your sister or your daughter, but you should care even if you don't have a mother or a sister or a daughter. You should care because it's human rights and everybody deserves access. Well, I know this can be a really tough topic to talk about, especially, um, you know, when you're back at school and when you're when you're back in uh, having conversations about things like this. Do you have any advice for someone who might be struggling to even start the conversation about reproductive health care? I mean, maybe it's not a safe thing to talk about in their family. Maybe it's not something that that they've ever really talked about. Um, how do you have a conversation with somebody about the, especially the importance of reproductive health care. I mean, some people don't think about it until it's a little bit too late. I know that for me, I was just having a conversation about with my dad about what's happening. And he kind of has a, a lot of different opinions than I do. But like something that helped me bring up the conversation was just like going over like what I feel and like how I think about the situation and like talking to other people about it too rather than just my dad and then like using those conversations to kind of talk to him about it. Cause it made it like less scary for me. Cause it can be scary to talk to somebody who has different perspectives than, than you on something that you really care about. And I agree. I feel like the best way to um, start these conversations is by just building like bravery. I feel like in, this day and age, we have such like, there are people who have different views than you, different opinions, and that's fine. And I feel like we become more scared about opening up on our own opinion and not really thinking that our opinion matters. It takes one of us and it takes a lot of us to change minds. You know, it's not Biden who's going to change the opinions of your dad or your mother. It's going to probably be someone who they have a personal connection with and just start small, even if they don't believe and what you are believing or doesn't agree with you, they still have another idea or another um, opinion or another statement or just an open mind now because you built yourself to start these conversations. Going off of what Emily and Kiana have said, it's important to have the conversations and start them, not only because you're like trying to change someone's mind, because if you go into the conversation trying to change someone's mind, you're probably not going to have a productive conversation. But if you are there to just express what you believe in or express what you think is right, then you're more likely to have a civil and productive conversation. And it's also important to start conversations because maybe you being brave enough to talk about it will inspire other people to be brave and to have their voice. I know that um, in more hostile situations, I've been afraid to be the first one to step up because I don't want to be the only one. But then somebody else does, and then I feel okay doing it, or I'll be the first one, and somebody else will feel okay having those conversations. It's really scary. Um, and Emily said that um, talking to someone that has similar beliefs um, can help you when you're having conversations when you're with someone who doesn't have 
um, the same opinion. And I think that that's a really good point. And it's important to know that you're not alone in these conversations and that you have a bunch of people who will back you up, even if they're not there with you. You know, that's such a good point about rhetoric and, and, and the idea that people, people have very passionately held beliefs on this system, um, on this issue, and they often get really, really polarized. And instead of talking with each other, they talk past each other. They get involved in, in you know, sometimes even saying things that that are pretty much not true. And one of the arguments, one of the myths that gets out there is that, you know, if we ban abortion, then people just aren't going to get abortions anymore. Does banning abortions actually stop abortions? Has that ever been successful? No, it just increases the amount of unsafe abortions that happen. Like I know I was just watching a video about these women that provided abortions to, I forgot what her name was, but I think it was around the 60s. She provided abortions to women who couldn't access them because Roe v. Wade wasn't created yet. I, I wish I remembered her name, but it was really inspiring to me because it was like, that was like one of the main things I was arguing with people about was like, it's not, nothing's going to change. Like it's still going to happen at the same frequency because women do not have the resources necessary for them. Ruth Barnett, Dr. Ruth Barnett. Is that the one you were thinking of? She's from Oregon and, and, uh, she was a, a provider um, who was literally the the only one. And there's actually a really great book about her. I yeah, might be wrong about that, maybe. but I'm thinking that might be the one, Emily. Yeah, I think that was the one. <laughs> what what about what do others think? I mean, is this gonna if if this really results in banning and, and overturning abortion rights in some states, what's gonna happen? Is this gonna make abortion go away? No, I don't. It's not going to make abortion go away. It's going to increase the amount of people traveling to access abortion. We're in places that are legalized and it's probably going to just prevent. Um, um, it's going to stop legal abortions and that's it. Just legal abortions is just going to go away. Um, I know that when you have to look at it, you just look at it from a past point of view what happens and happened in the 50s and the 60s it was just illegal abortions being practiced and unheard of stories of abortion so i think the main idea and the main thing to try to prevent abortion and try to minimize abortion is definitely the increased amount of resources in preventative care and also education education is probably going to be the biggest um, piece of change in our history. Everything starts with education, education on safe sex. You know, I was reading an article in Texas about the fact that while abortion is something that has been politicized and something that many people are opposed of, also the education of safe sex has also been something that people have been opposed of. And it doesn't really make sense because if you want to stop abortions, if you want to prevent early pre teen pregnancies, unwanted pregnancies, why is something like education prevented and um, opposed as well? It doesn't really make sense or it doesn't really line up because it's kind of contradicting to each other. So I feel like at the end game, we need to also fight for increased amount of resources in rural areas in areas that doesn't have Planned Parenthoods and also in urban areas. So, yes. 
You know, I really appreciate that you brought up that that issue of education because there's a myth out there that that I think we should talk a little bit about too. Um, there's a myth out there that if we talk about sex, then people will have sex, right? If we talk to teens about sex, then they're going to go out and have sex. And if we just never talk about it, then they never will. Is that true? No. Absolutely not. Um, I think that some that a lot of teens that have no education on safe sex are not only there's no change in whether they're more likely to have sex or not um but they also might not necessarily know what they're doing if they have a partner that does know like like i had a friend who hadn't thought that babies came from storks that storks brought babies um and you know that's really like honestly scary to think that there's teens out there who have no idea about their bodies um and knowing about safe sex is one of the most important parts um in reducing abortions if we want to reduce abortions we need to teach about safe sex yeah i think that's a really important point because you know all the studies that are out there show sex education works to your point uh, to both of your points, that that it reduces sexual activity, it reduces risky behaviors, and it reduces teen pregnancy. Remarkable. So how can we get involved and show up and be part of? I know um, there's been a lot of movements and a lot of school board meetings these days saying we've got to stop talking about sex education. We've got to stop talking about LGBTQ stuff, we've got to stop talking about that because the more we talk about it, the more people hear about it. And then that's what's going to happen because you do know that, you know, years and years and years of teaching people about cis, straight cis individuals has changed many, many LGBTQ people to be straight, right? It works that way, right? Not exactly. It doesn't actually work that way. So how can teens get involved in this and really get involved in the in the right in the right fight to protect reproductive rights. I know that at my school last week we just had a um, walkout um, in response to the Roe v. Wade issue. And although it's like probably not going to change anything like legally because we're just a small school, it definitely sparked conversations in my school about what's going on. And like people are like, why are all those people walking out of school? And then we were able to talk about it. And it was really productive. And I think that more schools should do that or it can be an inspiration for others to talk about it. Yeah, I know that um, protests, petitions, um, and one thing that I think a lot of high school students tend to overlook because like, oh, it's a big adult thing, but talking for local legislators is something that is more powerful than you will ever believe. Um, you know, a lot of teens don't realize the power of a teen voice um, is so much more powerful than um, than any than, than you can possibly realize. Um, people will listen to young people. They want to hear from young people. And legislators care about their constituents. And regardless of whether you can vote or not, you are still a constituent to your legislator. Um, so find that phone number, find your member of Congress, call them. Phone calls are scary. You could email them too. That works too. 
I 100% agree with Madeline. Just talk to your legislators. Don't be scared. Um, I know that recently in Maryland, we had a bunch of students who banded up and like sent blasted emails to their legislators. And recently, a bill has been passed, mind you, last week of the legislative um, session. Bill has been passed to protect abortion rights in our state. And there was so much opposition, but because of young voices like us, um, it was able to get passed. It was able to get increased amount of awareness, um, support. So just talk to your legislators. It's nothing more important than that. You can also make petitions, band up with your fellow students who agree with you, um, talk to board, board members, even school boards have a power to make these changes increase even if it's something to increase education promote resources in school on safe sex on reproductive rights that's doing something and that's going to make a change um local and national i love the drive for advocacy and you are absolutely spot on 100 that it team voices matter to legislators um sending cards letters emails phone calls yeah phone calls can be scary but emails work really well they count those things they count the number of contacts they get from people whether you're able to vote yet or not uh whether you're in in district constituent or not but in district constituent voices really really do matter every state legislature has a website has easy access for you to be able to figure out who your representatives and senators are and also School boards matter. School boards are where local decisions get made about curriculum, showing up, testifying, sending letters, and getting your parents involved in that are all great ways to ensure that we're going to continue to have sex education in schools and that we're going to get around and really be able to impact this issue. Hopefully sharing this podcast from Talk To Be Well today will also be a way that we can start the conversation and start the conversation in your school about reproductive rights and why that matters to you. I want to thank you all for joining me today on Talk To Be Well and, and talking about reproductive rights and reproductive health care. This is a tough conversation to talk about, and it takes a lot of bravery to step into it and to share openly and to really put your opinions out there. If you are looking for support with your mental health or any other medical questions, please visit us at providence.org. And for parents, teachers, and students, check us out at worktobewell.org. We have some new apps on there that can help you get involved in advocacy and a whole lot of other free information about mental health in general. I am your host, Dr. Robin Henderson. This has been Talk To Be Well. Be well, everybody.